Although we've come to the end of the road. What, uh, what you doing? Uh, singing. Yeah, but why? Because the show is over and I'm sad. It's not over yet. What do you mean? Seven writers, seven stories, we've heard them all. Yeah, but you're forgetting the last part. Seven writers, seven stories, and... <gasps> seven million dollars from Spotify? Or, or, a similar premium audio streaming service that loved the show? No. Yeah, I know, but a boy can dream. Seven writers, seven stories, one champion. Right, yeah, the champion thing. I almost forgot about that. Oh wait, that means one more episode! Bingo! So, and as painful as it is for me to say this, let's maybe save the boys to men until after we announce the winner? Deal. But first, we should probably do some sort of intro, right? I, uh, think we're already doing that. I mean, that's what all these mics are for, right? Oh, ha. Huh. Look at that. Anything in particular you want to say to the people listening? Uh, um, <clears throat> hmm. Okay. Yeah, got it. Cole and I set out over a year ago to start developing this show. While we were not surprised about the amount of work we had ahead of us, what we did discover was an amazing pool of talented contributors, writers, and voice actors. All of these wonderful people gave hours of their time, and we are immensely grateful. And to that end, we'll be promoting a lot of their content on our social media pages if anyone wants to hear or watch their other work. Beautifully put. I guess I would just add a thank you to everyone who listened and voted this season. Your support goes a long, long way. Oh, and stick around after we reveal the winner of season one for an update on season two and to hear about how you can continue to support us while we're busy working on that. Season two? Oh my god, can you believe it? If you build it, they will come. Anyways, shall we? Let's shall. Without further ado, the Don't, Don't Write Me, Me Off season one finale. Hello, welcome everybody. Welcome writers, welcome uh, listeners. This is the last episode of Don't Write Me Off Season 1. We're very happy to be here and to be joined by our seven magnificent writers. We were very fortunate to host these seven writers and we're just going to jump into it with reading off the bios so that you all get to know our writers better. All right, we'll start out with Matthew Bruggeman. Matt is a comedic actor, writer, director based out of Denver, Colorado. With extensive background in improv comedy, he tends to think he's quite funny. Opinions vary. You can see his previous work at mattbruggeman.com and contribute to his upcoming project, Super Dudes, at kickstarter.com. On to Colin Lockett. Colin Lockett is tenacious. A transient childhood led him to stability and purpose in the arts. He is a Florida State University film school graduate, a multi-award winning filmmaker, and a lover of sci-fi, fantasy, and the great outdoors. He is currently working on his feature film debut, as well as his television series, Us the Divine. You can find him on Instagram at LockjawArt and on YouTube as Colin Lockett. On to our third writer, of course, is Shanton Williams II. Shanton is a L.A.-based filmmaker and writer from Atlanta, Georgia. A fan of ghost stories and all things supernatural, Shanton's work explores genre at the intersection of cultural and sexual identity. He's worked on seasons one, two, and the upcoming third season of the critically acclaimed drama mystery series Dark Winds. 
Most recently, he co-wrote a scripted noir series set in the world of Dark Winds. Jim Chi, Private Eye, slated for production at AMC+. He holds a screenwriting MFA from Florida State University and got his start at management and production companies before transitioning into television. In addition to writing, Shanton spends his time hiking, illustrating, exploring photography, and doting on his pet chihuahua. Okay, <laughs> on to our fourth writer, Michelle Calderon. Michelle is an animation writer currently staffed on Disney Junior's Ariel, a new series inspired by Disney's The Little Mermaid. Born and raised in Chicago, Michelle is the Dominican-American daughter of immigrants. Before deciding to go after her dream of writing for television, she went overseas to do volunteer work in Africa, Eastern Europe, and Asia. It was an invaluable experience that ultimately gave her the courage to pursue her dream. Michelle loves to write coming-of-age stories about adventure and found families, drawing much from her experiences growing up as a first-generation American and her time overseas. Her writing is hopeful, heartfelt, and humorous. Even when not writing, Michelle is always creating, working on stop-motion projects and running an Etsy shop where she sells fun, crocheted things. Moving on, we have Joey Newfield. Joey is an L.A.-based queer horror and comedy writer-director, turning trauma into thrilling stories experienced by relatable characters from underrepresented communities. His horror comedy screenplay season was picked up by Raven Desk Entertainment, and his horror comedy writing directing feature film debut, Oh the Horror, is making its way through the festival circuit. Thanks to the success of this movie that he made for just under $600, Joey is now in development on two horror features that he hopes will be coming to a theater near you in the next few years. Our next writer, Mr. Gray Lindsay, was born in Atlanta, Georgia, and he writes imaginative comedy dramas about bad things happening to good, but exceedingly quirky people. A mid-level manager of a bunker for America's top brass, a self-destructive self-help coach, and in Joan's Last Wish, a Quaker trying to find a peaceful way to make the world a better place. Through all of his stories, he hopes to provide an emotional roadmap to audiences struggling with how to keep their heads in a broken world. In his spare time, he is also a musician, coffee addict, and self-taught autodidact. Finally, we have Zoe De Leon. Zoe is a writer-director from Tampa, Florida. She is an identical twin and grew up playing music professionally in a family band. Zoe's work has been presented at festivals around the world, and recently she was an award winner at the 2022 Los Angeles Animation Festival. Her other credits include Project Coordinator on Muppets Now, Showrunner's Assistant on Promised Land, and Puppet Wrangler on the stop-motion series Shape Island, which is on Apple TV+. Round of applause for everybody. Welcome, 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 welcome. So what we thought is that we'd just open it up to general questions, you know, pick your brains a little bit. We've got some questions for each of you that we'd like to ask. But before we do that, we'd like to start with a question for the group. A few questions, actually. And the first question is, uh, what were your initial reactions to the prompt? And as a reminder to the audience, season one asked that each story include a Quaker as a character, the end of the universe as a location, and a magical fountain appearing as the inciting incident. So what were some of your initial reactions to the prompt uh, confusion bewilderment and then inspiration at some point this is very well said that's exactly i couldn't add more than that honestly that was perfect 
I thought it was a very interesting choice because I, I mean, personally, I don't know if everybody else is just well educated than me, but I, didn't, I don't know anything about Quakers. So it really brought in my knowledge to learn about Quakers and their history, and then also just write about something cool and sci-fi-ish, but incorporating research that I have to do. I'm assuming other people did too. My first reaction was to like procrastinate because I did not know what to do at all. <laughs> Definitely had to wait for the inspiration to hit. Yeah, I think my gut reaction was to start with research and like really understanding what a Quaker was, what what was their belief system. And then I ended up just kind of throwing all of that out of the window and like playing on the word Quaker and just kind of going from there. First, I was, I mean, confused, bewilderment. I'm not going to lie. I was a little like, what the hell? This is going to be very hard. But then, you know, as is classically the case, the prompts actually help you with inspiration and narrowing you into a specific field of focus as opposed to paradox of choice of like anything in the world. And then, yeah, a lot of research on my end as well. I had no idea what Quakers were. And I don't know if y'all felt this way, but by the end of like me reading the Wikipedia page or whatever I found, I was like, Quakers were kind of freaking cool, man. Yeah. Absolutely. I was like, this is really dope. I feel like I've actually heard of this before and I kind of love it. I think it's a great belief system. Love it. We love our Quakers. Chase, next question. We're curious to know, has anybody been a fan of audio dramas in the past? Perhaps have you dabbled in writing for audio dramas previously? Yes, I listen to audio dramas all the time. In fact, as far back as, you know, 2006 and early Apple podcast days, there were a lot of programs that I was tuned into. I was like, I always want to do this. It's, it's always been a goal of mine to try this out. I just could never get the format or the hang of the format. But I was really excited when the opportunity came up and I was like, let's do this. I don't know if it qualifies, but there is this fantastic podcast. My dad wrote a porno where this guy, father in retirement, decided to write nice. a bunch of porn novels and he and his friends dramatic read the novels and then uh, they make fun of it. And it's just one of the best things I've ever listened to. It's so what, good. <laughs> what's the title of it again? My dad wrote a porno. I love that. I'm going to check that out. Good to clarify that that's the name of it, because I think we were all thinking that you were yeah. just like proud of your dad's porno at first, which was very cool. But like, yeah, that, that makes more sense. Um, I thought it was really cool to like have to think about now that the opportunity presented itself. OK, what are the limitations and strength of this, which was cool? Um, I never thought to write an audio drama, really, and nor do I listen to them. Um, I don't listen to any podcasts at all, drama or otherwise. People give me their recs, and I pretend to write them down, and then I know I'm just never going to listen to it. So, um, But this was a fun kind of learning curve into the world, and I really appreciate those who do write these because it's, you know, it's its own brand of challenging, but... What would you say are some of the pitfalls or trappings of writing for a listening audience rather than a viewing audience? Matt, you already sort of referenced the limitations and strengths of the medium. But to any of you, you know, what what are some of those trappings? I would say something that I experienced some difficulty with in my episode was having such a visual location, you know, the specificity of like, what does a house look like inside of a greenhouse? Like, how do you describe that without coming off a little hokey or, you know, just trying to make things seem like they would naturally come up in conversation was kind of tricky for me. But with you guys' help and the sound design, it all made it come together in a way that I was pretty happy about. 
I was going to say that I like definitely cheated mine by having a narrator and I was like, this is too hard. I'm going to do narrator. So that really helped once I started thinking about writing sounds in and like part of it, I was like, this is really cool. And I got stoked. So I just had to sort of wrap my brain around the sound being a big part of the story that really like got me excited, but I definitely cheated by using a narrator. I wouldn't call it cheating at all. Oh, well, it's very nice of you, Cole. <laughs> <laughs> now that Zoe said that, like, I feel like I also kind of cheated by having a narrator. I never even... Sorry. Was conscious of the fact that I was cheating by using a narrator, but I guess I kind of was writing all these stage direction, like filtering everything visually through a auditory lens. You almost have to form a new neural pathway. Think of, oh, how is all of what I want to communicate to the audience visually? How can I reinterpret that auditorily? It's just a cool, different way to think about writing a script. Yeah, thank you. Gray, I think you maybe also had something to share. When you have the visual shorthand in a script, it's like so much easier to be like, we're in a new location because you see like we're in a new place. So kind of figuring out how to like do that auditorially was really interesting. But I, I also thought I kind of felt uh, as I was trying to think of how to think of it was like more of like a radio play or you just need to have like a confined number of characters. And it's going to be very dialogue focused. So yeah, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. Chase. Next question. So we're curious to hear what were your expectations for the show? And were those expectations exceeded or uh, subverted? You guys did your thing. It, it sounded very polished, something that I would listen to. So good job. Seriously, I, I really loved listening to my episode the first time. You hear these characters in your head and, you know, we had a conversation with you both ahead of time. I appreciated the time and care that you took with our work just to give it life. And each and every one of these episodes, you really did your thing. I mean, I brag about the show all the time now, so... <laughs> I promise I did not mean for this to be leading uh, toward uh, just a bunch of compliments, but we will take them. You guys did such a phenomenal job on Original Ken. Like, seriously, that I, I thought, well, I feel comfortable writing something that is completely audio driven. I just so went wild with it. And I was like, I know they're going to knock it out of the park. You, Cole, Chase, you two are the star of the show here. It blew me away listening to all the episodes. Well, uh, I speak on Chase's behalf when I say thank you for bolstering his voice acting resume. Uh, without you, he wouldn't have been able to play a six-year-old boy. It's true. He had to dig yeah. deep for that. Added a nice touch to it because that six-year-old sounded demented and it, it was fantastic. So thank you guys. Last but not least, we would just like to open the floor up to all of you to speak to like what's on the horizon creatively, what's around the corner. If there is anything that you'd like to share. Yeah. So uh, I don't know if you all know this about Zoe and I, but we do stop motion together under our banner, Joe Shell Films. And we have a few things that we're thinking about. A couple of projects that we're both kind of owning two separately, but we'll make together. And then it'll involve a lot of puppets, a lot of fun little sets. Um, and yeah, we're, we're stoked to keep diving into it um, after our Safe at Home. Our last uh, stop motion short did so well in the festival circuit. So we're, we're stoked to make some more. That's great. And, and is there somewhere that everyone can watch the last short? Yeah, that one's on my Vimeo page. You can find it Zoe DeLeon on Vimeo. Actually, it's good timing because we have a uh, Galentine's short that we made last year. The Galentine's short is on YouTube. Uh, definitely this Galentine's Day, feel free to watch that one. Uh, again, probably if you just search Joe Shell, J-O-E-C-H-E-L-L-E -L -L -E films, it'll come up. 
That's awesome. I can't wait to check it out. Matt, I was just about to kick it over to you because uh, this was mentioned in your bio. Will you please discuss your pending project? So yeah, a couple things. The biggest thing right now is I have an audacious fundraising goal for an animated series that I've been working on for years and years. Like me and my best friend, we've been working on this concept for years. It's kind of inspired by our story and how we were like besties growing up. And then we kind of went our separate ways. And then when we came back together, our friendship wasn't quite the same because we weren't quite the same people. And we had to kind of like figure that out. So it's kind of like that, but it's in like a supernatural world, uh, fighting villains, evil, all that sort of fun stuff. So that's called Super Dudes. Kickstarter is out. So that's kind of the big thing on the horizon. And then I've got a short film that is in post right now called Zappanos that I'm very excited about. It's kind of dark comedy. Yeah, I'm excited to get that out in the world and submit to some festivals later this year. Very exciting. Thank you for sharing. That wraps up our general question section. Thanks for sharing all those uh, thoughtful responses. We really appreciate it. We've prepared a few other questions that are more specific to each of your stories. We'll start with Matt. So Matt, you wrote Outworld episode one. You had a unique experience in that you also voiced the protagonist in your story. As the writer, will you please speak to what it was like to have specifically realized characters in your world and what it was like for you to be directed by someone else interpreting your work? I'm not going to lie, it was kind of hard for me at first because I think the reason that you become like a slash person, actor, writer, director is because like you just want to do everything because you're kind of a control freak. So it was very nice, especially to hand it off to you guys. I will probably point to Cole more. It was really cool because like the way Cole interpreted and read and noted the script was like way better than I would have done. So I was like, this is amazing. Obviously having the calls with you guys before, I think you guys were very keen on making sure that you captured each of like the essence of what we were getting at covered any questions that I think really showed in the end product. And I saw that in the beginning of the process from Cole's notes, just as a voice actor in my own project, like seeing his directorial notes, I was like, damn, that's a really good note. I would not have given that. So it was honestly amazing. God, voiced by the incomparable and hilarious Josh Warren, tells the main character, Will, that he's been playing phone tag with Satan for a millennia. In your mind, what do they discuss when they finally connect on the phone? You know, I think I think they're buddies. I think they're close. You know what I mean? Like, they don't talk too often, but I see it as, like, they're both two powerful people with similar roles. You know what I mean? Like, two big tech CEOs today. Like, they're competing, but they'd have a drink, and they'd be like, this fucking sucks, right? This is hard. You know what I mean? So I think they kind of would commiserate together at the end of the day. They need each other. Can't have heaven without hell. Can't have up without down, that sort of thing. So, yeah, I think they try to reach out to each other every once in a while. Uh, and just for my own sake, um, which uh, tech CEO is God and which one is Satan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're both Elon, actually. Got it. Good. Okay. <laughs> All right. Final question for you, Matt. We know that cereals, particularly those of the sugary sort, are too, quote, fucking disgusting, but hard pressed. Which cereal is your favorite? So I can't say today because they are fucking disgusting today but as a kid i really loved fruity and cocoa pebbles i did not discriminate on the pebbles i'd go fruity i'd go cocoa i don't think i would go both both but i'd go back and forth i think those were my favorite growing. and looking back now i mean the most purely sugary madness like there's nothing else in it so i think it was all leading to this moment so thank you guys thank you thank you matt for those insightful answers to our ridiculous questions colin We'd like to kick it over to you. Uh, Colin, you wrote For They Will Be Filled, episode two. For two Quaker oatmeal cookies, Sanders and Krupke cannot be more different in how they regard and respond to existentialism. One is inquisitive and pursuant of answers to some of life's greatest mysteries, such as the meaning of life itself. The other is content with and adamant to exist without question. Where do you fit between the two? 
I would say that I tend to be more of a Sanders and I want to be the Krupke. So I am very constantly questioning my reality why things are the way that they are like oh can this thing be better can whatever we're doing lead to more happiness for more people like I'm always trying to find the root of like whatever I'm doing I think that actually gets me into a lot of trouble and makes happiness kind of elusive for me because when you're in your head you're just constantly ruminating about things and you're not in your body you're not in life you're you're in your head Krupke kind of represents the person that I kind of want to become like very much so self-accepting accepting their role in society is just happy is content thank you it's good to experience the mind of the person behind these two extremely different characters to that end and experiencing your mind and your thinking are oatmeal cookies the superior cookies why or why not they are not. So like oatmeal chocolate chip is a thing. So it's like uh, best of both worlds, you know, a nice oatmeal chocolate chip cookie is probably yeah, that's probably the best kind of cookie I would say. Now all I can think about is wanting to try an oatmeal chocolate chip cookie because I have never had so good a hybrid oh, cookie. I want you to know that I make the best oatmeal chocolate chip cookies and I can say they're the best because it's my older sister's recipe so it's not like I invented them I will make them for you they are so good if nothing else comes from this episode the fact that we all get cookies I think is rewarding enough all right episode three was entitled relatives written by Shanton after you've gone which is written by Marion Harris is the song that bookends your story However, you originally wrote to include Solitude by Billie Holiday. But given the matter of licensing, we were unfortunately unable to use it, so we had to switch. Will you please speak a bit to the themes in both of these songs and how they thematically reflect in your story? And also, did you feel <laughs> that being forced to revise the song choice gave your story a different texture? And then finally, by bookending the story with either song, does it take on a new meaning now that Darnell's reunited with Alex or a version of Alex? Alex? Yeah, I, I felt like both songs spoke to the same themes of sadness after a breakup or a separation. And what I realized is that in their refrains, there is a different response to the issue in each, and that's loneliness. So in solitude, it, it really captures that feeling of despair, like just being trapped with the memories of a good time, like those never die. And so I, I felt like that song, Solitude, really represented Darnell's point of view. And I had this idea of like, Darnell is a fan of Jack and he puts the song on before he falls to sleep and so the rest of the episode plays out as it does again in the middle of a dream and then I guess to answer your second question about like revising the song choice yeah it, it did give the episode a different texture after you're gone while it is kind of a sad melancholy song I realized that instead of despair there's like a hint of menace like there's a lyric there'll come a time when you regret it but baby think what you're doing I'm gonna haunt you so I'm gonna taunt you so I'm going to give you to ruin. And that to me, I, I instantly, the point of view changed that that belonged 
to my character Donnell's worst self, his alternate self. You know, I, I just wanted to give a cue sonically that would suggest the bitterness that lives in that character that he embodies. Being alone, all of these different realities and trying to cuckoo his way into the nest of other people's lives, for lack of a better word. But yeah, these other selves, just by absorbing their knowledge and everything they hold dear, I just, I, I felt like there was some menace. So bookending the episode, having Darnell end up with Alex in the end, or this other version of Alex, the song plays them out and it feels like it should be hopeful, but they're really faced with this reality that the road ahead is probably perilous. Like while they look like people that they know, they're both strangers to each other. So if I were to take the story further, I'd really want to explore that balance because they could find something together, but it's also very likely that they won't. I really loved how, since it's an older recording, it has that vintage feel and playing over vinyl record player gave it, at the top end, an eerie texture to the episode and to loop it back and bookend it at the end of the story kind of just makes it feel complete. Knowing you personally, which I don't, but Cole does, he's the one that wrote this question, but <laughs> knowing you personally and how buoyant your personality is, I'm curious to know where your inspiration for Darnell's voice and personality came from. Because though Darnell isn't unlikable per se, he's certainly not the most inviting of protagonists. And to that end, which parts of Darnell's character took shape before the others? Was he a man without a wife before he was an architect or vice versa? Honestly, I, I think a lot of myself kind of resides in Darnell. Perhaps a version of myself that's a little freer with his words or feeling he's better with his words or like feelings in like a difficult moment. I find that I often have to censor myself in certain respects, in certain situations. And like as a Black man, I feel that. <laughs> so if you're really not feeling it, being forced to like smile through it is a real daily battle that some of us face. In that way, he's rough, but he's also experienced some loss. And I wanted to grant him some grace and humanity. He started out as an architect in my mind, and I was really interested in this notion of eco-architecture. And I love this idea of this man being trapped in his own glass house. It's filled with a lot of ambition from top to bottom. And he, sometimes ambition gets in the way of relationships. And in Darnell's case, that's gotten in the way of his life with Alex. And so he's left with the burden of this place that's so specific to him and his needs and his loves and ambitions that it's not something he could pass off to anyone. It's a burden he has to shoulder until he's forced to leave it behind altogether. I'm thinking in the future, he has to figure out who he is in this new context without the trappings of this former life and all these ideations and all of his memories. I really just want to tell a story of these two people finding out who they are again through other versions of one another. And of yeah, course, sure. we have to thank Mr. Doug Buffalo, who was kind enough to voice the character of Darnell. I personally thought he was perfect for that role and, and he did such a, an incredible job voicing. Enchanted, I'm just going to add on to this because you've you've now somewhat alluded to it a few times. Is there a story beyond this episode? Absolutely. I had this idea that they are trying to find each other through other versions of one another, and they are separated at first, and they will eventually, through meeting other iterations of themselves or other iterations of their significant other, they begin to understand themselves a little bit better. And in the spirit of moving forward, we're going to jump to our fourth episode, written by Michelle, entitled Fantastical Fountain of Fantasy. The general tone or genre of the story is something like bittersweet coming of age. Yet, seemingly in contrast to that is a very dark, very real fear for most kids, which is the loss of a parent, and particularly to a violent situation. 
First of all, what inspires you to want to explore that fear? And then what becomes the key or secret ingredient to make a story anchored by such a brutal idea then feel sweet and moving by the end? What's the secret sauce? No, I mean, I think that sweet coming of age is kind of my wheelhouse. It describes my stuff pretty perfectly. I think that kids do have those fears. I myself was a very fearful kid. I know a lot of people who were, whether those fears are legitimate or not. I think you could ignore them or cover them, tell the kids just not to be afraid, or you can talk it out and figure out what's going on there. I feel like a little bit, I wish someone had talked to me about the kinds of things I was afraid of. And I think that that is one of the reasons why I felt compelled to have kids dealing with things that are a little heavier and darker than maybe we see sometimes. As for the secret sauce, I think for me, it's just, I don't like bleakness necessarily. I'm not a very bleak person, you do kind of have to realize that even when there's darkness or even when there's fear, our worlds, our lives are not made up of that. And I think that, you know, just really making sure that at any time I never go down too bleak a road and I just keep it real, if that makes sense in a way, because the reality is that amidst grief, you laugh and amidst sadness, you have happy moments and love and all that. I love that you found a new way for a character to say, I love you. I mean, I, I love that generally in any story. And, and I felt like this really packed a punch to use a pun sorts to say I'd fight for you. I thought that that was very moving. You all had such compelling visual soundscape, even just on the page before we set out to make these things. I really had a great sense of what this would look like on screen. And I think that just aided in our ability to bring these to life. Michelle, yours in particular, at the end, we go to a sort of liminal space where uh, our protagonist is reunited with his mother. I was just so curious if you could speak to what you were imagining while you were writing that, because I think that's, and not for any particular reason, but I, I was wondering how to get inside of that. Like, how do we make this a real physical space? So did you have an idea of what that looked like when you were writing it? Yeah, Mario Kart Rainbow Road. Oh, that's so good. A lot of rainbow color, maybe in more of a little like sci-fi hyperspeed kind of way. But yeah, that was kind of the vibe in my brain. Had we done this the right way, the appropriate Easter egg would have been them playing Mario Kart, Jacob and his buddy Kenny, before Adam shows up. True, but it has to be Roblox because that's what they do. That's what they That do. is what they do. All right. Our next episode entitled Samuel was written by Joey. Samuel is a story about grief and the nature to be willingly blind or ignorant to something that may be obviously nefarious to any or everyone else paying attention, especially for the sake of coping with a sort of tragedy like losing a child. But it could also be interpreted as a criticism of blind devotion to religion or religious dogma. Mary is by all regards a Quaker fundamentalist, and though it seems that Samuel, or this version of Samuel, is the result of something wicked, the quote, God works in mysterious ways comes to mind. So to your mind, which is the prevailing theme? Oh, definitely the first option. And the theme is a grief, and then as you said, nature would be blind and Willfully blind or ignorant to uh, something that may be obviously nefarious. Yeah, it's just strictly about that. Well, I guess moving on, we'll ask, what lessons does John need to learn, or what task must he complete to escape the time loop and wake up? Well, that's the thing. I am lately obsessed with uh, stories in which there is no escape. He's just screwed. That's it. I love that there's no escape from the hell that this guy's put himself in. There's no chance of redemption for him. Well, I too enjoy a good loop. Yeah. I think it feels complete. Yeah, the loop, the recurring nightmare over and over again. I'm curious to hear, do you have a recurring nightmare? 
Yeah, the same that I've had for about eight years now is that I'm back in high school. It's not the like idea of, oh, you're in your underwear about to go. No, it's more realistic. It's like I'm either one on the stage about to be in the crucible of Oklahoma, which I was in my senior year of high school. And I'm like back in there about to go on stage fully in constant. I do not know my line. And they're like, well, you have to go out or I'm about to do a test. And it's either chemistry or it's calculus. I'm always back in those stinking classes. All right. Moving on to Gray, who wrote our sixth episode, Joan's Last Wish. In the climax, as the ground begins to shake beneath Barrow, Bill asks Joan what her inner light told her, to which she responds, to take care of my own needs. But to your mind, what does Joan whisper in Mike's ear? And what would Mike have wished for if given the chance to use his third and final wish instead? Yeah, I mean, I definitely wanted there to maybe be a hint of ambiguity of what exactly did she say, right? That kind of a thing. You know, you kind of see the end result, but maybe you don't see exactly what got us there to the end, but it kind of doesn't matter because you get the emotion and everything of it. But I think that maybe that's just my way of saying, I, I don't know. But no, I, I think what she said was also was something that could be, you know, read. Maybe she said something like, I want to make things better or something kind of vague in a way. And it's sort of like the universe is is sort of in the end with delivering her back to her mom is kind of reading it like, well, you said this thing that could be vague, but we know like, you know, what your whole psychology is and what, what you wanted in life. So it's kind of granting that to her at the end. So, and then as far as with Mike, I mean, I like to think that part of the idea of the wishing in this was, I feel like you see this with so many problems, like, I don't know, like bigger problems today is like, we're so focused on instant gratification or just things where, oh, I got these wishes. Well, I'm just going to have a good time now, or I'm going to do whatever. Then you kind of go, oh, I only have one wish left. So I, I like to imagine that maybe on that third wish, he would have done something more for the town, something that could be a little more sustainable or something. For any keen listeners, they may recognize the actor who voiced Mayor Mike is also God in Boat World, Mr. Josh Warren. We thank him. Final question, most important question. What type of soup does Joan's mom make? I think that the recipe that she makes her, because it's such a personal moment and they had such this history from years ago, would be something very homemade. I almost would think like kitchen sink soup, something you couldn't really find online or find in even a recipe book. So it's maybe something that her mom, she really only ever made it for her, you know, in some in some way. And it sounds like we need to get a few of our characters together, or all of us should get together and make this meal of fruity pebbles and oatmeal, chocolate chip cookies and soup. I don't know how it would all blend, but you know, worth a shot. All right. Our final episode of the season is, of course, The Blood of the Fox and Deer, written by Zoe. There were an impressive number of themes you touched in for such a succinct story, including girlhood, sisterhood, motherhood, maternal sacrifice, othering, the compromise of one's own morals or ethics, self-acceptance, and of course, wish fulfillment. I'm curious to know, which theme was of interest to you at first and how exploring that brought forward so many others? I think for lots of us, when we first start writing, we don't really think about writing the theme. And I was trying to think about if there's like a wishing fountain, which was one of the prompts, like what kind of wish could be conceived? Like how could a person live where they wanted something so badly that they couldn't have? So I wanted like the idea of you don't have an acceptance of yourself and her mother doesn't accept her. So to me, like the theme is about acceptance. There's lots of other things you listed that were like really cool. And I thought it was pretty cool. You found all those things in it. But for me, it's kind of a story about like really wanting something that you don't have and like that desperation 
separation, not accepting yourself, and also her family doesn't accept her either. But also I think that kind of came from the wishing fountain prompt, because I feel like wishes, what's a conflict you can come up with with that? Like, how can you create a character who has this thing that they don't have that they really desperately want? And to me, that's a sense of accepting your situation or not accepting it. And those around you are not accepting it. Few know this, but in the script, the narrator is written to be an older man. For production purposes, we instead cast a woman, more specifically Cole's mother-in-law, Corinne, who did an incredible job. So thank you. We really appreciate it. But I'm curious, as the writer, does that change the gendered voice affect the story in any way? Does the nature of the well change? I was inspired by the narrator of, actually, it's Michelle's favorite book, The Book Thief. The narrator of that book is Death. Really liked the way that the narrator was using that book. Um, and that book, you get the sense that it's told in this older man's voice. And it's interesting how, even as a woman, I think that a narrator is going to be an older man's voice, because that's just what I've heard my whole life. So I just sort of thought, oh, like, that's like the natural voice for this character. It would be an older man, right? It was like a million percent better the way that it turned out. Her voice added every kind of dimension to the story and it's also a story all about these women's relationships sister to sister daughter to mother like having Cole's mother-in-law read for it made it way better it was just beyond my expectation I know we talked about expectations earlier it was way more aligned with actually what the story was about way better than I even planned so that was pretty cool we're very glad that we didn't let you down. We tried desperately to find a British older man. And we were very grateful to my mother-in-law, Corinne. We agree, she knocked it out of the park. Just having sat with her, I can say on her behalf confidently that the story really resonated with her as well. She loved it. But that all said, Chase, I think that this is the moment we've all been waiting for. Before we reveal the winner, we just want to say thank you to you all. Thank you to anybody who listened, everyone who voted. This show is not about us as much as the glowing reviews might suggest. This show is really about lifting all of you up and trying to give you a platform so that people can find you and you can also share your work. Chase, should we just, we should just do it, right? Let's do it. The winner of season one of Don't Write Me Off is episode three, Relatives, written by Shanton Williams. Shanton, congratulations. Congrats, man. Congrats. We would, we would like to inform you that you're not just getting a picture. You are getting this trophy. It is on its way. We will remind everyone that Shanton's duty now is to pitch a prompt for season two. He will come up with the three elements, a character, a location, and an inciting incident. For any of the writers in season two who are upset, take it up with Shanton. Speech! Yeah, congrats, Anton. Congratulations. Thank you so much, you guys. Um, I just want to thank everyone who listened and voted for this season. I just want to tell each and every one of you guys, I love your work. I was so enraptured in each of the worlds that you rendered, and I'm excited to see what we make together in season two. Everyone did a fantastic job from the top to the bottom. Cole, Chase, thank you for making it happen. I'm really grateful to come across this opportunity or that you guys brought it to me. I can't wait to keep working with you guys. Thank you so much. No, thank you. We can't wait to do some more work with you as well. And, and hopefully our paths will continue to cross all of yours. It was such a treat and such an honor for us to have you all included in this first season. 
obviously this show cannot exist without collaboration of all of you. And Cole and I were surprised by the diversity of input that you guys provided. And it was just a treat to make all these stories come to life. I can speak for both of us. We're really excited to see what the future of the show holds and uh, super excited to start season two production here soon. Shanton, better start working on those props because we'll hit you up here very soon for those. I'm on it, (laughs) y'all. And thank you so much to everyone who contributed their voices, who gave their voice to bring these stories to life. I just want to make sure I give props where props are due in all respects. So everyone, appreciate you. There you have it. Season one of Don't Write Me Off is officially on the books. Once again, we'd like to thank you all for listening and supporting the show. Please continue to do so by sharing it with your friends, family, co-workers, supermarket checkout clerks, local and state representatives, I mean really anyone, and be sure to follow us on social media for continued updates as well as updates on future projects from our writers. And last but not least, if you haven't yet, please give the show a five-star review. It helps boost our exposure and the likelihood that these stories are heard by someone with the ability to really change the careers of these talented writers. (sighs) Okay, I think that's it. Chase, you okay, buddy? Yeah, just now it really is over. It's not over, it's just hibernating, which reminds me. Season two, can I do the update? I'm doing the update. We are already underway on season two with our next roster of writers eagerly awaiting their prompt. So as Cole said, follow us on social media and be the first to learn about the next seven storytellers to be featured on Don't Don't Write Me Me Off. Okay, now, together, always. Although we've come to the end of the road, still I A Lucky Broadcasting Production.